Welcome to the Who Needs Instructions podcast, the podcast that wants to get men talking. So yes, welcome back to another edition of the Who Needs Instructions podcast. I'm delighted to introduce you to a gentleman by the name of Ross Anderson. Hello, Ross. Hello. How you doing, all right? I'm good. I'm a wee bit sleepy. I've had a long day and I've just put my little girl to bed. But I'm here, fully present with you and uh, excited for this session. How old's your little one? She uh, is approaching eight months. So oh, okay, here. so she's tiny. Just out the wrapper, almost. <laughs> and I understand you've just moved into a new home as well. Yep, yep. I will let you see this part. If I mean, the guys obviously will be listening via audio, but if you, you know, if this is recorded and put out anywhere, you can only see the tidy part of the room. The rest of it's messy because we're only two <laughs> weeks in and we haven't had time to sort everything yet. Now, listen, I came across you on LinkedIn and uh-huh. uh, I just, you know, I, I, I read your story. I was inspired by it. And, uh, you know, I think now that you go and share your story, that's part of the work that you do, isn't it? Um, yes. And I'd love yeah. you to share your story with my audience. So uh, pick a point, you know, where, where do we start with, with what's brought Ross Anderson to this point where he is now then? I guess you could say... You know, if we go back into wee Ross's life or little Ross's life, you know, mum and dad, uh, a bit of a walking cliche, you'll you'll find that out in just a moment. But mum and dad separated uh, when I was about four years of age and the separation was tough, tough on my mum, tough on us, my, myself and my sister. And my dad was in and out of my life for a number of years until I was 13 um, when my dad ultimately rejected me. And at that time, um, I didn't really know that was the thing that was affecting me, but it was heavily affecting me. Um, and I was filled with insecurities throughout, you know, the years of you know, maybe seven, eight, nine years of age. Um, I actually found out very recently that I, my mother took me to see a psychologist when I was about eight because I was demonstrating all these signs of OCD, which is a form of anxiety and, and, mm. and specifically OCD ordering where someone starts to try to. So what I was doing was I was coming in after playing football and I was cleaning my football boots halfway through a match. I was uh, I had all these Coca-Cola bottles and I was putting them in order. Um, and making sure the Coca-Cola emblem or logo was facing the same way on every bottle. I started really, you know, organising my clothing in a particular way, and my mum found this really... At first, she thought I was just being a good little boy and tidying his room, and she was kind of happy about that, and then she saw that it was problematic. Um, And uh, so that's OCD ordering, and it's basically where an individual manifests these ordering behaviors in order to try and get some control over their life because they don't feel internally like they have control because my life at that time was a bit of about out of whack. Um, so there were some problems early on in my life. Dad left, rejected me, filled me with a lot of, a lot of insecurities, a lot of anger. Um, I've actually broken this hand. Can you believe it? It's a bit messed up now. I get arthritic problems in this hand 16 times between fractures, breaks and dislocations because I was an angry wee man. I was angry. I was I just didn't know how to deal with my internal uh, discourse, my internal emotions. Um, so I I didn't really do too well at school, um, not because I didn't have any potential. I think a lot of us have potential, but I think the educational system at the time, um, I think it's still a bit broken, but it was definitely broken when I was um, 
uh, present within it, it only values certain types of intelligence. And typically, if you can't, you know, encode the information that they share with you and regurgitate it in the way they want, then you won't get your good little boy A grade um, and you won't be seem to be realizing your potential in that space. And yeah. so that was a case for me. Um, I was putting behaviors cards because you know I had loads of energy. Um, I was almost expelled from school, suspended multiple times and almost expelled for selling and taking drugs. Um, you know, I was just getting involved in all sorts of bother. Um, I left school, bounced around from unfulfilling job to unfulfilling job to unfulfilling job. And that's when my drug dealing and drug taking intensified to the point where at 19, I took my first overdose. At 22, I took my second, unintentional. My intention was not to end my life. It was just because I was living a very toxic life. And then in between that period, I lost friends to heroin, suicide, crime. I myself developed debilitating panic disorder, another form of anxiety, a very acute form of anxiety where... I don't know if maybe you've had a panic attack or maybe your listeners have had a panic attack in the past. Mm. They're very intense. Um, and it feels at times it feels as though you're having a heart attack, even though you are. And what panic disorder is, is either you feel like you're having multiple panic atta- uh, heart attacks throughout the day, or you just live in fear of one of those things happening. And uh, and a whole host of other things went on in my life in between that first and second overdose. I developed a host of autoimmune issues. Um, and I was just really unhappy and really confused. I was on a number of different pharmaceutical medications, beta blocker, blockers, anti-anxieties, propanolol, to calm my system down. But I'm going to, not even the weekends, but throughout the week, I'm taking cocaine, speed ecstasy, dabbling in heroin, drinking five to seven nights of the week. Then I'm taking Valium. My mother worked in a pharmacy. Um, she could get all the good stuff. Um, and she she had her own problems. And believe it or not, we had this big American fridge. Uh, you know, the ones that you can get the ice from and the cold I water. Yeah. So with this big fridge and uh, the bottom two drawers were filled with pharma- pharmacal, pharmaceutical prescriptions um and so i could just just like anyone could open the fridge and go in and grab a can of juice or an apple i could go in and get the best volumes no. money could buy <laughs> and so no. i, I, I my, it was normal for my mom to take those and so i took them and so my body was all over the place i didn't know whether it you know it was it was high or lower whether it was coming or going um and then at 23 you think things couldn't get much worse for me after to near-death overdoses and autoimmune issues and mental health issues and a load of other things on top of that. Um, my lawyer turns to me and says, Ross, you're looking at two years in jail for this and there isn't much I can do. And the reason for that was I had a very unhealthy record with the police from the ages of, let's say, 15 um, to, to, to that point. A number of small offences... In fact, not not a number, many small offences and a couple of more serious ones compounded over time to the point where one event was the straw that broke the camel's back that led to my lawyer saying, look, you know, you've had all your get-out-of-jail free cards. You've used all of them. Now, you know, we can't do much about this. And so I went for a second opinion. The second lawyer said the exact same thing. Pack your bags, prepare yourself for this. Make sure your family are prepared for this. You're looking at two years in jail. Because the, the 
the conviction was a very serious one. Um, and uh, in that time, I there was 14 months before the court case came to fruition. Okay. And in that time, I was already... I was trying to pull myself out of this horrible environment that I was in. I had, I had created this person, this other Ross, this other character that I was a byproduct of my environment. I couldn't, the only way I could realize my potential, the only way I felt that I could progress, um, you know, I don't know how much you know about psychology, Matt, but Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, you've got the basic physiological needs for, you know, sex, safety, sustenance, to defecate, to breathe air, to consume water, all those things. We need that. But then beyond that, you've got psychological and spiritual needs. And by the way, spiritual, for anyone who's not uh, listening and doesn't like that word, because I once didn't like that word, it just means anything non-tangible. Hope, faith, optimism, gratitude, creativity, realizing your potential. And the psychological stuff is loving, belonging, mastery over a craft, respect, recognition. A lot of these things I was fulfilling through the selling and taking of drugs because that's the only thing that my environment could give me that was that was that would enable me to realize my potential fulfill some of those physiological psychological and spiritual requirements it was just being done in a very unhealthy way that, which wasn't sustainable if that makes sense and mm-hmm. so i was in this tricky position trying to pull myself out of this world loads of toxic relationships friends who weren't friends created this alter ego this different identity to survive that environment um and i was just in a horrible space but at 23 when i got when, when i found out that i was going to be facing two years in jail i started to make some shifts not because mm-hmm. i needed to because i really wanted to so i got the head down i tried my best to compartmentalize the fact that i was facing two years in jail and I enrolled in a social sciences course. Doesn't sound very fanciful, but for me to go back into education as someone who comes from a family who aren't educated, no one in my family went to college, never mind university. You know, a lot of people, they come from even working, not necessarily middle class, but working class backgrounds. It's it's quite a common path to go through school, do your hires, do as best you can, go to college or university. For me, it just wasn't. Most of my family are, uh, are womanizers, at least the men, womanizers, wife beaters, drug addicts, fat, sick, unhealthy, pissed off, alcoholics. And so the males that I looked up to when I was younger were all my friends, bigger brothers, and their bigger brothers. And they were all doing drugs and chasing girls and stealing cars and uh, doing all sorts of outlandish stuff. Yeah, what was the trigger that got you to, to, to go, you know, to choose education? Uh, well, I, and this, I assume, again, is in the time where you're waiting to go to trial. So I, it was the panic disorder. It was mm-hmm. the, the psychological issues I was having. So when I was 19, Matt, I, I got a job. So I got kicked out the house at about 18, 18 and a half, something like that. My mum caught me with, believe it or not, 10,000 ecstasy pills. Uh, a kilo of uh, a kilo of green bud grass, mm-hmm. uh, a couple of bars of hash solid, um, about ten thousand Viagra and some Camagra, <laughs> which is liquid form Viagra, um, a, a couple of ounces of cocaine, 
and counterfeit clothes and a, a stack of cash. So I was into drugs in a big way from a young age and, and she found my stash. Um, I got very high and drunk one night and we had this shed. I, I'm, I'm digressing here, but we had this shed out the back garden. Garden. I knew how to dig a hole and use a still saw. So I dug, uh, use a still saw. I dug through the concrete. It sounds very breaking bad, but I dug through the concrete um, uh, got a kind of cast iron chest and I would put all this stuff in there and unfortunately I didn't uh, seal it properly one evening well a bit fucked up with my friends and so she yeah. found it she kicked me out it was the last straw for her because I, I put my mum through a lot the police were at the door every second third weekend and a night in the cells was a common place for me so um, coming back to your point uh, I was kicked out the house I really needed to get my act together and, and, and pretend. I was really pretending to my mum that I was live, being the good boy. So I had to show my mum that I was being the good boy for about six months before she let me back in. Um, and I got a job. I couldn't hold a, down a job very well at that time in my life because of the drugs and you know I would just be on a bender and never show up at work. Um, and anyway, to answer your question, I got that, a job working in construction, um, laying... Like, you know, working on the roads, like the asphalt, tarring. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was through a family member. And I was labouring. And on that job, I never really had many male mentors in my life. And on that job, I would say I met my first kind of male mentor, uh, Paul. And Paul was about my age at the time, 35. And he kind of took me under his wing and we worked together for a whole year and he would pick me up in the morning, he would drop me off at night, we would have great conversations on the way to work before we picked up the other guys, deep conversations and on the way uh, back from the jobs. And we got on really, really well, we met up for beers. You know, I felt like I could confide in him and he really understood me and he used to say to me, you know, like, you don't want to be in this job, Ross. You have far more, you know, have, you're a young guy. You can go and educate yourself. So he was giving me some positive messages. I'd never really heard messages like that. Mm. And um, we developed a real bond. And one day I was at work. Long story short, Paul wasn't feeling too good. I was in the back of the van. Uh, to the left of me was one of my colleagues. Uh, his name was Colin, or as we called him, Clarky. In the front of the van, there was another guy by the name of Billy, or as we called him, Ganta or Shani. And Paul was in the front. And it was a normal day. We'd, we'd set up, we were building islands um, at this school. And Paul wasn't feeling too good. And everyone's winding him up saying, you're back on the drink. You can imagine how the boys are in the construction sites. You're back on the drink. You're back on the fags. Um, you, you look rough. Um, so there's a bit of winding up going on. We went to the shop to get some lunch. Paul stayed behind to put up some pins. As we come back, his colour really changed. He went a kind of grey-blue colour with some orange blotches in his face. And he was complaining of feeling sick. Paul was not a complainer. We get back in the van. The van is sitting on a big wind curb. So the wind curbs are the big uh, eight-inch deep curbs. It was sitting on a wind curb. Um, Paul's van door was open. And uh, he kept trying to belch and break wind. And he was complaining of feeling poorly. And again, all the boys are winding him up. You were back on the drink. You were back on the fags again. And uh, he, he got out the van, took a deep breath, got back in the van, attempted to burp again and said, words that got me really worried, that alarmed me. He said, someone's going to have to take me to the hospital. And that's when, when the guys were all winding him up, I said, no, this isn't right. I, I'll take you, Paul. Do you want me? And just as I'm saying this, he falls, out the, he falls out the side of the van. And again, it's high. 
is perched on this big wind curb and he falls flat on his face. Now, this is going somewhere, by the way, to answer your question as to no, no, why no, I cool. started wanting to educate myself. So he falls flat on his face and I slide open the van door and it looks to me as though he's having a fit because he's convulsing, mm. he's shaking. I couldn't see his face because he'd fallen onto his face. So Billy Ganter, the guy in the front of the van, I tell him, go and get the site health and safety. Colin Clarkey, the guy that was sat next to me in the back, he runs away to phone an ambulance because we couldn't get a signal. So I'm there, I'm, I'm 19, just going to, about to go on 20. I'm left on my own with Paul. I think he's taking a fit. I try and turn him over. He's quite a, a sturdy guy. I, I managed to turn him over and he's, he's covered in blood. He smashed his teeth in um, as it fell on his face. And he was doing all this kind of convulsing and snorting. And I'd taken, I took some of the, because I didn't really know what to do. You only, after the fact, I went to a first aid course because it terrified the life out of me. But you're understanding, yeah. at least for me, it, it comes from the movies. I didn't know how to deal with anyone in a medical way. So I grabbed some of these jackets, I perched his head up. Um, and as I'm talking to him, he stops breathing. He makes a couple of gurgles, a couple of snorts and stops breathing. And I'm freaking out. I'm wiping the blood off his face. I'm trying to say anything that would get normally get a rise out of him. Nothing. And then I hear a kind of like, almost like him taking his last breath. And I try to resuscitate him. I'm, I'm trying to give him mouth to mouth. I'm covered in blood. I don't know what's going on. And then the ambulance comes and takes him away. And, it, and then and everything got very surreal. Everything was very slow for me. Um... And the site health and safety came, told us to down tools, go home, and we'll contact you with further information on Paul. So we drive home. I tell my mum about it. By this time, I'm back in the house. Tell my mum about it. She says, go and take a shower, son. That's a lot to deal with. And as I come out the shower, my mum's put the phone down. And she tells me that Paul has passed away. And he died there at the scene with me. He'd taken a massive heart attack. Now... That event, coupled with my toxic lifestyle, taking all the drugs, taking all the pharmaceutical drugs, uh, eating a bad diet, no fiber in my diet. Like There was a point at that time in my life where I didn't actually have a shit for 10 days. So I really didn't eat anything healthy. It was all Donna kebabs um, and chips and alcohol. Um, and if I needed to go to the toilet, I would actually take a laxative. Not all the time, but that's how bad my... Um, digestive system was running and so all this toxicity all these bad relationships this very traumatic event a lot of emotional issues that i hadn't dealt with in the past and i started to develop some weird behaviors so anything that paul did whether it was healthy or unhealthy i started to avoid doing so he ate rice krispies for his breakfast i avoided rice krispies he ate an apple every day i started to avoid the apples whether it was healthy or unhealthy and uh I started to feel really anxious and I was in Stirling with a girlfriend of mine at the time and I took my first panic attack. I, you know, we were lying in bed and I went to the toilet. I was naked. Um, I didn't know. I was feeling a bit ill. My heart started to um, bounce all over the place. I was having some palpitations. I was having shortness of breath. Uh, she ran to get the woman who uh, owned the B&B uh, &B at the time. That woman then thought I was having a heart attack. She contacted the ambulance crew. They came out. I was in Calendar in Scotland, the closest 
hospitals in Stirling, which I don't know how far away it is in terms of miles, but it's about 20 minutes, so it's quite a distance. So they wrapped me in a shawl. I had no clothes on. It was really embarrassing. And I know this might sound a bit silly, but when I was having the panic attack, the first time it ever happened to me, I looked down and my penis had shrank. Because the oh, and I was so freaked out by this. My penis has went so small. I was freaked out. I didn't know what was going on. I thought I was dying, um, and I kind of almost blacked out. They took. They rushed me to Stirling General. It was all very confused. Only for the doctor to tell me it was all in my head, and that was my very first panic attack. And then began um, that that began me that that event led to me having multiple panic attacks and then being diagnosed with panic disorder so, so, so in a very long-winded way to answer your question why did I get into education I'd been suffering with panic disorder and other issues for so long psychologically I was messed up the doctor was always giving me additional medication I was waking my mum up at two three in the morning almost every second night freaking out thinking I'm dying um, of a heart attack the only places I felt safe were in my mum's arms which was embarrassing being a man at 21 uh, in 1920 whatever age I was um, or strapped up to an EEG machine in the back of an ambulance. So it was very disconcerting, very alarming, and the doctor was always just giving me more and more meds. And then I was referred to see a psychologist, and that's when it all changed for me. That sparked interest in psychology, because this woman by the name of Rona, she, she in eight weeks, eight sessions with her over eight weeks, I felt significantly better. And then that sparked the interest in psychology. Uh, she taught me the basics of mindfulness meditation, the psych- psychology 101, cognitive behavioral therapy, progressive muscle relaxation, PMR. I'd never been introduced to these. What I, I, It might be hard for some of your listeners, if they're younger, to even comprehend this, but I had never heard of the word depression. I had never heard of the word anxiety, panic disorder. I didn't know what mindfulness was. Like well-being even, that word wasn't a common place back then. I'm 35 now, we're talking you know, back in 2005, six, um, it just wasn't, um, at least in my circle anyway. And and so she helped me significantly. I started to explore psychology in my own time, old school dial up internet. Um, <laughs> and I found this course, I found this course, Matt, it was studying social sciences and um, it was an access course. So you didn't necessarily, it was designed purposefully for mature students who didn't really have an, a, a positive academic background. Um, so if you if you showed enough intrigue and you were passionate enough and you wrote um, a coherent enough ap- application, they would interview you and, and you would potentially get a place. And I, I did that. And I was really interested to learn about philosophy of the mind and psychology. And these were some of the topics that we explored. And in that year, that year was game changer for me. Um, as I started out that year at 23, I found out at 23 I was potentially facing two years of jail. Um, my lawyer was certain, in fact, that I was. It was 14 months before the court case came to fruition, but in that 14 months is where I met my three real mentors. I call them my Mr. Miyagi's, Dell, Stevie, <laughs> and Robert. I hope, I hope everyone listening saw the Karate Kid. Not, not, the, not the newest one with Jaden Smith and Jackie no, no. Chan, but the original, the original yeah. with Ralph Macchio and, oh, what was the, um, Mr. Miyagi's real name? I forget, Pat, Pat, Pat something. Oh, I don't know. Either way, <laughs> either way, Mr. Miyagi and Danielson rule. And in the movie, the idea is that Danielson has this vision that he holds of himself in his mind's eye that he's just, you know, he, 
he has the, the, this agenda and this vision of himself. And Mr. Miyagi helps him overcome that and see this different side of himself, see this different vision, changes perspective. And that's what they did for me. They were my Mr. Miyagi's. They helped me see that I wasn't some kid for the back arse of nowhere. Uh, they helped me see that I had some potential. Um, and sometimes in life, when you don't have any belief in yourself, I believe that you have to lean into someone else's belief in you. And I did. And I was, again, developed some great relationships. And they encouraged me to stand up in front of a room full of, two, it was, well, it was 250 people, which was a lot for me that time, even though I've spoken down in front of thousands of people. At that time, when I was still on anti-anxiety medications, um, they asked me to talk about mental illness and my experiences with addiction. Um, it was terrifying, but I managed to do it. It was a room full of my peers, students, staff, um, and it gave me a lot of competence and confidence. Um, and I started an after hours, an, an after hours group um, talking about psychology, my love for it, the things that I had implemented in my life. And I was just growing um, in, in ways that I'd never experienced before. Um, back to that kind of confidence competence thing in psychology we call it the confidence competence loop or the competence confidence loop the more competent you become the more you yeah. do the more mm -hmm. confident you become and it spirals and it allows you to create a different vision for yourself um different beliefs more empowering beliefs versus disempowering beliefs and that's what they were doing for me and i remember a third of the way through uh, halfway through the year when everyone had applied to go to university um, they approached me and they said, why haven't you? And I said, well, what the fuck is the point? Because I'm going to jail. They, they knew of the situation, of course, and, right. and they just about forced me to apply. Uh, thankfully, they did. Um, and uh, yeah, I left university. I got, I got accepted to go to Glasgow University, which was a big thing for me because at the time, I don't know where it ranks now, I wanted to become a psychologist. I wanted to study and explore psychology. And at the time, Considering all the universities in the UK, all the fanciful sounded one, ones, um, the Glasgow University Psychology and Neuroscience Department was recognised as number four. It was ranked number four in wow. the entirety of the UK. And so I really wanted to go there. I wanted to get the best possible education I could muster. And I was really serious about educating myself. So I'm in Glasgow University one month and the court case comes to fruition. It was a very confusing time. My, um, I thought I'd made all these changes, but now I'm going to go and screw it all up just because of that event that happened a year before. Yeah. Um, long story short, I, I, I can't remember the weeks leading up, to be honest. Um, I remember the day very clearly. I'm there with all my family. Bags were packed. I was dressed smartly. Um, I'm waiting to hear my fate. The magistrate calls my name, Ross Anderson. Please approach, approach. And she starts talking about all the events that, led to you know me being uh, given that those words by my lawyer you're facing two mm. years in jail and as she's talking about the case and the events i'm off in the distance thinking how on earth did i get here you know was it because my dad left and rejected me was it because of the drugs the environment the booze was it because i didn't educate myself was it because of my own mind my own ego and I was going through this list of ex uh, external events and I realised in that moment it wasn't necessarily anything external that led me to be in that position. It was more internal. Up until that point, I was always in the driver, the passenger seat, never in the driver's seat. I was, I was kind of just cruising through life, never fully cognizant, never fully conscious, never fully self-aware. Just like 
my days were running me. I wasn't running my days. And then mm-hmm. in that moment, when I'm having that realisation, the, ju- the magistrate's voice snaps me back to reality. And she says, fortunately, this time. And uh, as certain as everyone was that I was going to jail, I was given a second chance. And unbeknownst to me, I think the reason why she gave me a second chance is because those three Mr Miyagi's I mentioned, they wrote letters to the magistrate talking about who I had become in that year and that I'd done it for the right reasons, not just to be seen to be doing the right thing. Um, and that I had a lot of potential untapped. And so that's when things changed for me. It wasn't a big X Factor moment. There was no confetti bursts or whatever. Um, I just had a belief that I could be a wee bit better, a little bit better. And I carried that belief consistently. And that's when things started to change for me. That is some story, Ross. That really is. Do you realise, I mean, I, I think I've asked you two questions and we've been chatting for 30 minutes. <laughs> I can talk. I can talk. Mate, you're a dream guest. You're a dream guest. Because, there's, you know, we, there's there's a lot to unpack in that. But but what I think, and this is my opinion, I'm not an educated man. I, I've not even done sixth form. So, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. But you've had a chance then with the all the learning that you've done to have a chance to look back on your life and go, right, well, that's why that happened. That's why that happened. And have you now come to terms with everything from your past? As in, have I forgiven myself? Or... Well, I, I, I mean, I guess you don't have to forgive yourself because you now understand why those things happened in your life. It's not, you know, like you said to me, and if, I think I wrote it down, you know, you, you became a character. You had this version of yourself that you created to get yep. through life. And yep. now you're not that person. You are just Ross Anderson, which is. Yeah, I think we're all born. I think we're all born whole. We're all born whole through a hole, ironically. We're all born whole through a hole. Um, and when I mean we're all born whole, what I mean is we're all, when I watch my little daughter, I can see she's already developing this unique personality. And we have that for such a time. And then society, depending on where we live geographically and what the cultural norms are, what the spirit of the times is, the zeitgeist, whatever you want to call it, it forms you and it shapes you. And if you're not lucky enough to have mentorship to be met with, you know, we're social learning creatures. If you don't see motivation, if you don't see entrepreneurship, if you don't see all these positive things, you can never fully embody it. Um, and so my my environment shaped me. Um, and it shaped me in a way where I realized my potential through drugs and, and alcohol and selling that sort of stuff as well. It was, yeah, it was an yeah. odd one. But then you take yourself out of that environment, you put yourself in an educational environment, and Uh then you're starting to mix with different people. And this is where you, I guess, meet your three mentors. What were their names again, sorry? Dell, Stevie, and Robert, or my three Mr. Miyagi's. Dell, Stevie, and Robert. Yeah, they were the deputy heads at the college I was at. Okay, that's yeah. That so they're they're all you know they're, they're all in education. They spotted yep. something in you which you maybe didn't even realise was there. I'm guessing that might be the case. Yeah, because I was just a guy that thought he was good at peddling drugs and chatting up lasses and kicking a ball about. You know, it's a bit of a cliche, but that's all I. I, I knew I had some other talents. Um, I was silly and I, you know, I'm good at impersonations, but nothing really tangible that was worth shouting about. Um. And yeah, they saw something in me and, and I guess, uh, you know, I, I couldn't be any more thankful. I have a good relationship with the guys, um, even to this day. I've come in and delivered some talks for students of theirs. Um, and, uh, you know, that was nice to give back to them. 
But you asked a question there. The, the question I didn't really answer if you rewind back. What was it again? It was, um, have you come to terms with your past? I didn't know quite how to interpret that. But yeah, I think, you know, the more you learn about psychology, the less you can be angry at people and yourself. And you've come to terms with it because one of the first things you said to me, I think you've come to terms with it, is, is Matt, yeah, there's, 100%. The, there's no holes barred here. You ask whatever question you want to ask. And yeah, I, I know that if you, you know, if you don't know yourself, you're not giving me that access. So, you know, you, th- th- you, you've learned that much about yourself. And now, so now all that education, yeah. are you now, are, are, are you a doctor? I'm not a doctor. No, I'm definitely uh, not a doctor. Um, I guess I'm, I'm a doctor. I'm a doctor of myself. Um, okay. So my my uh, for looking at everyone, you know, you said earlier on, I'm not an educated man. You know, education is all relevant. I think sometimes experiences in life are uh, far more. Um, there's far more va- far more value you can extrapolate from them. A lot of wisdom. So it's not it's not necessarily always about labels and such. But that helps if you're someone like me who wants to be taken seriously and seen as a credible individual. Um, because I am not PC. I don't dress like a scientist. I don't look like a psychologist. I, you know, you don't necessarily, in my opinion, I always tell people to have an experimenter's ethos. And what is that? So that is to, it doesn't, you don't have to be, you don't have to have a plethora of different degrees and letters next to your name. You don't have to be a middle-aged man with semi-balding hair who kind of looks like Einstein you don't have to wear a white lab coat and goggles. You know, we're all born experimenters, and I think we should connect more with that. And it's experimenters' ethos is, is going forward with that, what I call a tabula rasa, a blank slate, and uh, being non judgmental. Have your little hypotheses, do your little experiments, extrapolate information, analyze the data, uh, and rinse and repeat that, and use that concept, that, I, that ethos, to grow and evolve. Um, but yeah, I do have an academic background. I started out studying philosophy of the mind, practical philosophy, um, not all the epistemological stuff and you know thinking about why are we here. And while that still has merit, and I do enjoy to dabble in that periodically, um, if, if, if for nothing but an interesting thought exercise, I do prefer stoicism and practical philosophy. Uh, I studied that for a number of years. Then I majored in psychology. Um, specialising in neuroscience, positive psychology, psychological disorders, and um, sleep psychology. While also taking advantage of the neuroscience department, uh, I got really interested in nutritional neuroscience, how the food we eat influences our microbiome, which influences our psychology, and meditation, and evolutionary psychology, and so much more. Um, And fortunately for me, my professors were very nourishing of my enthusiasm to explore and experiment. So I had my, I had access to MRIs, fMRIs, DTI machines, uh, microbiome tests, all sorts of kit. And we've done all sorts of cool experiments at university, some of which the research has been published and forward. Um, some of which I am still trying to, my big, one of my biggest goals in life is to create legacy science. And what I mean by that is science that, leaves a legacy science that you know yeah. isn't necessarily done yet that, that really impacts people's lives 
Um, and the difficulty in academia is sometimes these people are far too smart that they just cut up, get caught up in analysis paralysis or they just want to <laughs> nurse their egos. And I kind of have that entrepreneur, I'm a half an entrepreneur, half an yeah. academic scientist. And when you blend those things, you can get useful, practical, needle moving things done a lot more quicker and efficiently for the benefit of humanity and other people. Um, so, yeah, I've got... You know, I've got loads of credible sounding labels come out my ears. You know, member of the European Union of Sleep, microbiology, member of the British Psychological Society. But ultimately, it comes down to what value you can offer when you're talking one on one with an individual. And I don't believe that it's always that always requires labels. So I, I know that there's not going to be a standard kind of day in your life. But what you know, what's your standard day? What do you do for a living? How are you earning your money these days? Because, you know, you're definitely not peddling drugs anymore. No. Well, <laughs> well, you, I mean, <laughs> well, well, it depends how you look at it. Because, yeah, I do. I do uh, do a lot of one to one consultations where I recommend you know, dietary profiles, which involve uh, supplementation. So, okay. I mean, technically, <laughs> but, you it's know, I get what you're saying. Yeah, it's legal, <laughs> of course, of course. Um, so I um, I started off, a lot of people think of me as a motivational speaker because they only see so much on LinkedIn, but that's actually yeah. only 10% of what I do. Um, I Most of the time I operate as a consultant, um, not necessarily. So there's speaker, trainer, and consultant. The speaker part is the motivational speaking part, which I don't really like that label. I don't like to speak at people, I like to speak with people. Um, and it's a bit Americanized. And then um, the majority of what I do is well-being consulted, consult, consultancy and training, rolling out large-scale strategic well-being program, programs, well-being science programs for companies like ACC Global, Dell, um, currently in talks with Netflix, uh, shouldn't really be telling anyone about that, but <laughs> Ouch. just name dropping. We'll see. We'll it's see. So I'm playing good. the patience game. Um, I'll, I'll companies the like <laughs> just name dropping, trying to sound smart, smarter than I really am, uh, cooler than I really am. Yeah, and uh, you know, Hyman's. I've worked with Hyman's and continuing to work with companies like Cisco Systems, big firms. Um, they come at me with uh, you know a number of different pl- problems. We engage in a consultation. I extrapolate some information, create solutions. And I have loads of different partners because I can't be everything to everyone, such as Lululemon, blood testing companies, Aura, Whoop, you know, loads of different people that, that, that make the programs far more practical, actionable and valuable. Um, so that's kind of what I do on a day to day basis. Um, and, and then a lot of the time I'm writing because I'm writing my very first book right now. So I write a lot. And if I'm not writing... Um, being a dad, and if not being a dad, I'm either exercising, tend to my own health and well-being, or rolling out these lads' kind of corporate well-being strategies. Fantastic. I mean, you've come an awful long way. You realise that, like you just said, you're a dad. You've just bought a home. Uh, I'm assuming you've got a partner with you in your home as well. Yeah, we're just about know, to celebrate our ten-year anniversary on the seventeenth of December. Years. That's amazing, mate. Yeah. That is amazing. And and uh, you, said, you said everything's on the table so how's that relationship with your with your mother these days and is your father back in your life as well father is not in my life father okay. tried to get back in my life once but it was a weak attempt and to be honest i think you can tell more about someone through their actions than you can by you know what they say in a facebook message so my father reached out to me once i believe he didn't even re- write the facebook message i think it was his partner at the time 
Um, it pissed me off that he didn't ask for my sister. Um, uh, the, when my, the relationship broke down with my father, the relationship broke down a little with my grandparents as well, and they tried to reconnect with me. I loved them dearly, so I reconnected with them, and the whole time all they did was talk about my father. Um, so mm-hmm. I didn't like that approach. So we don't have much of a relationship. My dad has another family now. Um, he has a daughter at 18 and a son at 21. Um, uh, he's a bit of a loser, if I'm honest. And, and I say that in the most objective, aim. like I don't have any ill will towards my father. In fact, I'm really thankful now that he was a shit dad, that he was a weak man, that he was mollycoddled, that he he didn't do anything with his life. And all that pain that he caused in my former years has now been, you talk about emotional intelligence, utilising emotions in, 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 in fruitful ways, like That's Eddie cool. Hall, Eddie Hall to break the world record for lifting 500 kilos off the floor. He was able yep. to utilise the emotion of anger, which is generally thought of as a negative emotion, one of our primary emotions. He utilised that. I don't know if you know much about the story and this, the psychology behind him being able to lift that, but he utilised the negative emotion of anger. So I utilised the negative emotion of uh, resentment and... Um, dissatisfaction and all the other words that you could attach to that but predominantly resentment to become something far greater than so far greater than my father ever was I'm, I'm always trying to get away in some way as far mm-hmm. away from that that type that person that he was so it, it helped me it spurred me on that's why I want to try and break world records that's why I attempted to try and break a world record in 2019 that's why I I kind of live every day to be the me that I never had Someone wants to ask me on a stage, why do you do what you do? And, and it just that those words I live every day to be be the me that I never had flew out my mouth and it became a thing. Um and you know, I've been in so many different situations where there's been pain in my life, whether it's been how do I become an entrepreneur and pull my hair out literally and figuratively, you know, how do I avoid drugs, how do I get through this addiction, how do I avoid these autoimmune issues, how do I separate myself from this horrible, criminal, violent environment and many many other scenarios that were unfruitful and uncomfortable I didn't have anyone and so Mm. I kind of like to be the guy uh, for other people Um, because I've been so many different painful situations that that pains pain is a powerful motivator the most powerful motivator and it's encouraged me to go deep into so many different experiences um, both experientially and academically and now I want to share that with other people so that they don't have to experience the same degree of pain I did because I think that there's a, a small amount of pain that's necessary to teach people lessons, mm-hmm. but then uh, then there's a lot of unnecessary suffering that can happen if you don't have the right tools. And I believe that the problem, the problems that we face in life, are not the problems. It's the fact that we don't have the tools to deal with these inevitable issues. Um, but yeah, no relationship with my father. A great relationship with my mother. Fantastic. Although. My mum has been my biggest foe and also is my biggest friend, my best friend. Um, you know, my mum and I, you know, we are very much alike in many ways, but she's she's still dealing with a lot of stuff. She went through some heavy stuff. She had a, a mental breakdown. She was, um, she got married to uh, my stepfather. I won't say his name, but he was an ex-SAS soldier and he had PTSD issues, alcohol issues, and his ex-wife was part of that family, you know, in villages and towns when you have that family, they're all on the dole, they're all heroin addicts, they're all stealing, robbing, killing, 
his ex-wife was part of that family, a big family, and I became the target of a lot of violence as a result of that relationship, not just from her family, but from him, because there can't be two lions in one house, as that's how at least he thought of it. Um, right. So that was that, that's a whole other thing um, that that got that got intense, and that was partly why I, I moved out of the house at twenty five. Um, but yeah, my mum's in a great place now. I take care of her a lot. I teach her how to fast, put her on juice cleanses, uh, <laughs> her to meditate, get her on the assault bike. And we, you know, I teach her about simple psychology. Um, and it's funny how your mother can be someone who raises you, who nourishes you, who you look to with great reverence and respect. And in fact, you're inspired by her. And then she becomes broken. And now I am the one nourishing her. And I, I, I think that's a beautiful thing also. I, I like to... I like to give back to my mother because now being a father, <laughs> it's so, so, so bloody hard. It's so challenging. And my mum gave us so much love, so much time, so much care, so much affection. And while there was a lot, that, lot more that she could have done, she didn't have the means. She didn't have the resources. She wasn't educated in that way. Um, yeah, yeah. She worked three jobs, brought in £14,000 a year, worked three jobs. You know, So she done the best that she, she possibly could. I'm just so glad to hear that you've got a fantastic relationship with your mum, and to the point now where you know you are that you it's become the, the role reversal potentially where you know you're looking after her now, and and yeah. you know I, I I've got a, 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 I was going to call her an ancient, I've got an elderly mother, uh, right. and a, you know an, an elderly father, and it's now the the roles are reversed in both relationships. So yeah, so I I, I think it's a beautiful cycle. It is, it is. And I'm very proud. You know, my father asked me to do stuff for him and I get to do stuff for my dad because he can no longer do that kind of stuff. And and I love that. I find that really rewarding. Yeah, Ross, my listen, mother I'm, just... On you go. go on. Yeah, sorry, no, you were no, just no, finishing no, up. No, you no I was just going to say, uh, my mother, she just uh, cared for her mother. My grandmother partly raised me um, for a whole year. She passed away a couple of days before my little girl birthday was born. And um, now... I'm moving along the conveyor belt, you know, the, the generation generational conveyor belt. I think there's yeah. something really nice about that where you have a child and you take care of that child and later on in life, she's going to have kids. And you're going to be able to enjoy that and then you're going to deteriorate and she's going to take care of you. And, you know, so many people could see that deterioration as a bad thing, but I think there's something nice about that conveyor belt of love that's carried on. If that's the way your family works, we have a kind of like a, a Scottish, Irish, Italian family, if you you know, everyone's loud and lady, but they all take care of each other. Uh, well, you're talking to a, an English-Irish uh, uh, relationship here. So, yeah, Irish mother, Catholic, large family. And uh, I was actually spent time with them this weekend, so that was brilliant. Lovely. Uh, cousins from uh, from London, from Kent, from Canada, and uh, I came all up from Devon. So, yeah, it's fantastic. But, yeah, Ross, I always end the mm-hmm. podcast because, listen, I could pick out – I could talk to you for a week. I could pick out little bits <laughs> that I'd love to dive a bit deeper on. There's, there's some really interesting stuff. Obviously, I want to make sure that people can reach out to you and, and, and learn from you. There's obviously some stuff yeah. uh, that, that you've got there. But four questions I ask all my guests at the end of the podcast. Uh, I actually think you've covered at least two of these already. Uh, so okay. some of them will be really good. I'll try and be concise. Uh, <laughs> we've got all the time in the world. Don't worry about that. But here's a question for you then. Quite big, the first okay. three. The last one ends on a slightly lighter note. Uh, what do you think it takes to be a man in the 21st century? Personally, I think we yeah. need to get offline. I think we need to, no, no, not to say that there isn't a place for that. I think if we get offline, we have quiet. 
and detachment is very important to connect with the truest essence of you if you want to call it that you know the, i always say the deeper you go the more you know the more you know the quicker and further you will grow so when it comes to being a man i think if we can detach i think there's so much of the male identity that's being suppressed for example a lot of uh, a lot of people see fighting as a bad thing fighting is very natural if you look at any animal any species even humans um when we're younger we play fight it's how we learn to defend ourselves and it's mm -hmm. controlled aggression just as mixed martial arts and boxing and sparring not full on it doesn't have to be without headgear or, or, or lacking control but there's there's these natural tendencies i guess is what i'm saying that are so evolutionary ingrained but they're being so societally oppressed such as fighting controlled aggression play fighting being outdoors a lot of that stuff is being suppressed um and so i think to answer your question what does it take to be a man in the 21st century every single man is going to have a different answer to that but i you know i can only speak for me you have to educate yourself you have to connect with the truest essence of what it is to be a man for you you can only do that through stillness detachment and asking yourself quality questions quality questions bring about quality answers so i push i push self-awareness hard um so self-awareness educating yourself connect with other men as well like i was out at the weekend on sunday and we went up ben Ann for a walk and then we went and we dipped in cold water and uh you know swam i don't do that that often i'm more of a cold shower type of guy that's more intense but it was just nice to connect with loads of guys. There's a load of camaraderie. And I think a lot of men these days, they do feel that suppression. Um, I think there's a part of us that should be out either. Like if we take it back a thousand years, we should be out farming, foraging, hunting, tending to our communities, providing. There's a natural tendency, I think, because of what's going on now. You go on LinkedIn, for example, and, you know, everyone's trying to make a man a woman and a woman a man and they just don't really honor the unique strength the, the strength of the unique abilities and tendencies of each sex that's why they have yang and yang we need both both have yeah. strength but both also have differences that's not to say that one can't do what the other is supposed to do better um but i think you get where i'm going with that and i think yeah being about other men I think they feel that way. And so I, I think you've just got to connect with, I'm not really answering your question, connect with what's truly intuitive to you. Connect with those real, true, authentic thoughts. You know, the thoughts that you have when you're on the toilet pan, when you're out walking, you're in the shower. I think the, mm -hmm. the more you can connect with that, the more you can connect with your real natural impulses. And by impulses, I don't mean, you know, uh, frazzled impulses. I mean, intuitive thoughts. Um, I think that that is key education um those sorts of things that was a poor answer in my opinion but no, yeah no. <laughs> tried my hardest to answer that one one thing it wasn't was concise <laughs> but then that's fine because yep. there's so much detail in there but no I, I get where you're coming from because it's about understanding yourself i mean i'm I, this sunday me and two of my pals we're walking over dartmoor you know we're going to yep. get away from it and we're just going to be there we're going to have some ridiculous conversations we're going to have some deep conversations and 
the whole ethos of who needs instructions is to communicate with other guys and you need to find that crew those people and you know i'm 50 next year i'm still finding those people and and you know it's a journey so listen everybody's answer is unique as is yours so i really appreciate that next one and again i think this one you've definitely almost touched on well these next two i think you touched on who has inspired or who's been the most influential personal people in your life most influential people have been the people who have hurt me deepest. Okay. My mother, through her decisions and actions, even though she is my best friend. My mother, my father, an old friend who bullied me deeply when I was throughout the ages of 12 to 19. Um, he was a very close friend of mine. He had a lot of stuff going on. He was the toughest guy. You know the tough guy? He was that guy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he's been in jail for um, attempted murder, armed robbery. Um, he's a heroin addict now. But when we were younger, there was two groups. They ended up separating. So it was one group they ended up separating into two groups. And that was because heroin was just a step too far for half of, a, half of the group. You know, we dabbled in it, but heroin was just a step too far. And he became the figurehead of the heroin side. And I became the figurehead of the anti-heroin uh, crew um, of boys if you will and so he proceeded to make my life a living hell um, from you know tanning my car to doing the tires to jumping me multiple times with some very dangerous people who are who are you know they, they run uh, dodgy crews in and around the area where I was raised um, so yeah those people that filled me with a lot of pain those have been the most influential um, and I've gained the most from those experiences. And then in terms of inspiration, hmm. day, I get daily inspiration. So you inspire me because you're doing this podcast because your intention is to connect men and to talk openly and to value openness and vulnerability and insecurity and to talk about well-being and to talk about individuality and authenticity and all these things so you inspire me that inspires me i get inspiration from my little daughter you know when she's trying to talk and she's trying to progress and she's trying to walk i get inspiration you know maybe someone throws up an, an inspirational link temple i don't really aspire it's not like cristiano ronaldo or conor mcgregor or something like that or muhammad ali yeah of course there's elements of those individuals that i draw strength from but it's more the people that have influence in me are, are the ones that, that pain me. Pain me. Again, uh, I love that because that is not the answer I was expecting. Um, and, you know, I'm learning stuff because you do, I, I was going to go with there's the mentors, there's your friend Paul that passed away, obviously your own mother. So to understand that you're drawing your strength from the people that cause you the most pain, it, that's inspiring. I find that inspiring. So thanks for that one, buddy. Uh, what sort of legacy would you like to leave? So I mentioned earlier on about legacy science. Mm-hmm. I have aspirations to do a lot of research. I, I'll give you an example. I am fascinated or fascinated, bit of a pun, by fasting. I'm fascinated by fasting, the abstinence of food. There are various forms of fasting, mm-hmm. intermittent fasting, block fasting, um, from two days to three days to 10 days to 30 days. Yes, as and a lot of people may be thinking right now, you can fast for 30 days. Yep, you can. You can fast on water for 30 days 
and longer. There have been cases where people have fasted for 365 days. Granted, they're extremely overweight and they're pulling from um, additional fat reserves, but it's possible. So I'm extremely into fasting, the science of fasting, the applications of fasting. But what I want to know is, the research is conclusive. Fasting is impactful, powerful in a very healthful way. But what is the difference between a one-day water fast, a two-day, a three-day, a five-day, and a 30-day? What's the difference between a one-day, a two-day, a three-day, a five-day bone broth fast, a dry fast, um, not that you should fast, dry fast for 30 days, but uh, low glycemic juice fasting, all these intermittent fasting, where do the benefits curtail? Where do they tail off? Um, where is the maximum stem cell production? Where is maximum growth hormone production? You know, where, how... How do our biomarkers trend in a process? Um, I want to, so I'm working on, I've been saving up a lot of my own money because uh, when it comes to academic research, it's slow, it can be sloppy, there's a lot of biases. I want to have control over that process and I want to take a pool, a cohort of people, say 30, um, different genders, different races, different colours, different creeds, so that it's what we call in psychology is ecologically valid. It has to you know, be able to represent the entirety of the population or at least a good sample. Um, and I want to go in depth and do a lot of research into to fasting because my ultimate goal is to help people go from a negative space back to baseline and beyond because for me, there's more to life than the absence of disease and disorder. There's, it's about realizing your potential in so many different ways, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially. And so that's the type of legacy that I want to live. Legacy science. Um, science that will impact humanity long after or after I'm gone. Um, and I also want to continue to do research and to talk about human potential, to talk about entrepreneurship, all these different things, and communicate that through speaking on stage through podcasts, through books, through articles, through documentaries, possibly even. Um, if uh, that opportunity when Netflix unfolds, you never know what might happen. Um, but yeah, that, that's the legacy that I want to leave um, for for many, many people. That's fantastic. I, I'm, uh, I've been intermittent fasting for about six months now, and it's been yes. revolutionary for me. It really has. So uh, yep. I, I'm looking forward to your research. Brilliant. Okay, uh, last question I have for you before we wrap mm-hmm. everything up. Uh, and this is the one that you're most, I imagine, you're most newly qualified for. Please tell me your best dad joke. Oh, my best dad joke. Um, okay. Uh, I actually have one of these. So, what do you call a row of rabbits walking backwards? A row of rabbits walking backwards. Uh, I don't. Both know of us have one. <laughs> a receding hairline. A receding hairline. <laughs> I mean, come on, mine's gone. It's not receding. Oh, mine's, mine's, mine's is getting there. Mine's is getting there a bit. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I thought there was going to be some joke about rabbits up the arse and calling it Warren or something. Oh, like no, that. no, no, no. Fantastic. That was the, be- the best one I could think of in the moment. Absolutely. That's the question that's, that that uh, gets most people. That's the one that people take the most thought over. Not the, I'll what probably go away and like. start thinking about tons now and start writing them down. <laughs> now, listen, you know, you have got, many quills to your bow there's a lot of stuff going on i know that my audience will want to reach out to you and and potentially learn from you see what you're getting up to how do they get in touch with you ross and, and where are the where are the resources that they can connect into please 
So as it stands right now, my website is, has been deactivated because it's being evolved. I'm going to have an area on that website very, very soon called the Improvement Arena, where you can go on and you can browse through podcast articles, pre-recorded podcast articles and videos. Um, and they'll be toggleable. Is that even a word? Toggleable, filterable. I think so. I'll toggleable. Go with that. Will you give me it? Anyway, I don't know if I coined a new word there, a terrible one. Um, but you can filter through it uh, by topic and by duration, all those different things. Um, so that will be active uh, 2022. Um, in the meantime, though, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. I do. Um, I do sometimes dabble in Instagram, but my Instagram actually got hacked. Uh, so I'm about to start a new Instagram. Um, but yeah, I would say LinkedIn, look out for the website, follow me on Instagram. My Instagram hanger right now is the motivational dude. The name was picked mm-hmm. for me, not by me. Um, or Ross Anderson, man in the cap on LinkedIn. Um, and and you, you can check out that website. Yeah, I mean, I looked up the, the website and I was going to let you know that it's actually offline at the moment, but that's clearly because yeah. you're doing some work on it. So yeah. the motivational dude is the website. Uh, Ross Anderson on uh, LinkedIn. Uh, as I say, that's how we connected. That's how I came across you. I read your story. You showed me one of your videos and the video, I mean, that the quality and the way it's been put together is documentary quality. It's absolutely fantastic. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how your journey evolves. And, uh, you know, I hope to Likewise. stay in touch with you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, mate, you know, it's all about helping each other out. And by you being on my podcast, you're helping me out. And I only hope I can kind of give you some publicity too. Yeah, and my my partner and I were having a quick chat just before I come on the podcast, Faye. And she was saying, whose podcast are you going on? Like, what does he do? And this and that. And I said, do you know what? I don't know much about Matt. And she says, oh. And I says, I'm at at a stage right now in my life where I I, I don't need to know if you've got one million followers or one listeners. I don't need to know necessarily too much about you. What was most important to me was who you were and how you approached me. You approached me in a very kind, very genuine, very authentic, very lovely, very down-to-earth way. And that's all I needed. That's very kind of you, mate. I mean, yeah, that, that I, I aspire to be all those things and more. So that's brilliant. So listen, Ross, thank you so much for your time. Uh, for anybody who obviously hears this, you can download it whenever you want. But we're doing this and it's half past nine on a Wednesday evening. You know, this is this guy's giving me his time at this time of night. He's got a young family. He's got a new house that he's got to probably decorate. And he's still sitting here giving us his time. So, Ross, thank you so much. You're welcome. And I'm, ex- I'm excited for your future. Man. Thanks for listening to the Who Needs Instructions podcast. We release a new episode every week. So make sure to subscribe and we'll speak to you again soon.